0: This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dave Putniak. Dave is the CEO of Jump Associates, a leading independent strategy and innovation firm. He's a board member of Conscious Capitalism, the author of the book Wired to Care How Companies Prosper When They Create Widespread Empathy, and an adjunct professor at Stanford University. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're living in a time of not only constant change, but accelerating change. There is always something that's urgent, but to make a sports metaphor, If you're paying attention only to where the ball is right now rather than where it will be, you'll never get the pass and score the proverbial goal. The ancient Greeks had two words for time, kairos and kronos. Lately, I've been speaking with several of my clients about them. Kronos, the root of our word chronological, is everything immediate quantifiable whereas kairos the name of the greek god of opportunity is more qualitative it's the time when for example the archer finds the perfect opening to shoot an arrow and hit a target now everyone knows intellectually that they need to deal with both types of time but they struggle in practice they don't have the chronos to deal with the kairos if you will you've built a business looking at Kairos, how do you bring your clients along? How do you help them? And I'm looking for some block and tackle advice here. Create space for this kind of opportunity-focused thinking.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. We are all strapped for time. We are all overwhelmed with the the amount of things that are pelting us and distracting us from actually having any sort of time to notice what's going on right to to kind of take that time and that's just what it means to do Work in the 21st century in the United States of America, but it's especially true for any leaders today. So, no one comes in and says, Help me think about the big picture, right? Fortunately or unfortunately, folks come in with specific hard problems like, Oh my goodness, I'm in an industry that is under assault, or Google or Amazon just co opted my business model and are giving it away for free, right? Or I'm in three businesses, none of which are growing, and I need to find a fourth. So, when you have that kind of weird, nuanced, ambiguous problem, it's time to take a different approach. So it starts with that, with, a, with okay. a very pressing need.
0: Well, and how did they? So they they know they have the pressing need, and they already are able to carve out mindshare to. I mean, obviously they they come to you for help cracking the problem, but they're already able to devote the mindshare, time, and space to doing that the, the the best ones are
1: right i it, it is a, a a particularly unique kind of human being who yeah. is more future focused right and that's in their brain wiring that doesn't mean that you can't change your your brain wiring but but it is neurological it is more than just a persona that you take on every day
0: okay so your client base they come and they are They're already that part of the battle you're not dealing with. You're not dealing with. You really need to think about these things. They're coming to you saying, we know. And we're going to devote some time, but we need help sort of attacking the problem that we've defined. Is that, that
1: that's exactly right? I mean, if if you think about it, right? And, and and we we've spent a fair bit of time looking at the research on this. Most of us in life are not future focused individuals, where we're thinking about the work where the world is going to be in three years, in five years, God forbid, in seven or eight eight years, about. of us as best as we can measure are truly future focused where they are thinking about the the way the world is going about another 13, 14% are completely past focused. These are the folks who will tell you, you know, taxi cabs are never going away. Uber is just a blip or they're in financial services saying things like people will always want to walk into a physical branch. What are you talking about doing this on your phone? You can ignore those people. But 70% of us are present focused. Most of us live in the in the day-to-day, in the now, in the chronos, as you describe. Right?
0: So if, if I'm a listener, chances are I'm a present day thinker. Am I doomed to be a present day thinker? (laughs) because my biology is this way. Are there any, again, block and tackle, like one tip to help me wrench myself into future focused thinking?
1: Yeah. Gabriella, neuroplasticity is a beautiful thing. You can rewire your brain. And the first thing I would do if you're even remotely interested in being more future focused is start paying attention to the kind of conversations that you're having. Think about if you wanted to lose weight, one of the first pieces of advice people will give is start paying attention and keep a log about what you're eating. Well, Mm. do the same thing for your time. You know, take a look at your Outlook calendar or your Google calendar and not before, after you have a meeting, after you have a work session, or if you spend some time doing something, just color code it. Or say, was that that a past-focused conversation where we're talking about debriefing the past? Was that a present-focused conversation, a here and now? Or was that a future-focused conversation that I just spent time on? And you know, Code them whatever, red for past and green for present and blue for future. Right? Mm. And just notice how much time you're spending thinking about the future. Most of us are doing it, not nearly enough.
0: Interesting. Yeah, you you get good at what you practice. So, That's exactly you know. right. <laughs> So great stuff. Now, switching gears a bit, you have written about the power of empathy and how it's important for every member of an organization to have empathy for the people outside their business who use their products. But aren't people, and we just talked about this, the 70% of people are focused on the immediate. How do you focus on the pain points of your consumers and still be future focused? Mm -hmm. So so you're not ahead of your skis or not ahead of their skis.
1: That's exactly right. And, And unfortunately, you have to do both. Right? You have to pay attention to the now and you have to think about what's gonna come around the corner, right? And, there, and there's just no escaping those two things. So you need to have deep empathy for the people you are serving today, right? And that means getting outside of your office or your home office and, and actually seeing what's going on with people. I, I love it when you have conversations through, you know, with folks about here are trends about what's going on with young kids, right? Just mm. getting that data about here's what's going on today, Right, Mm -hmm. but then it's the second step of saying like, yeah, but at the margins. Let's now, now let's not spend time talking about most people. Let's talk about the people who are at the fringes, who are doing weird things today that might be exactly like what all of us will be doing in just a little bit of time. I'll, I'll give you an example whenever we have to do something on, say, you know, for gaming or media, there is no point in studying people in the United States. That's the present, right? But if you go study a place like South Korea, over and over, we've seen what people do in South Korea are things that the rest of us will be doing in five years. So take a trip there, right? It's as as a William Gibson once said, the future exists today. It's just unevenly distributed.
0: That's so interesting. How How is being empathetic distinct from being customer focused? You know, because yeah. everybody talks about, oh, we're a customer centric business. And if you yeah. say to somebody, part of what I bring to the picture is I'm really focused on customers. they say all businesses are that way.
1: Yeah. But you yeah.
0: and I both know that isn't so. That's so right. So what is, how do you say, but No. Uh, where, yeah. where are the differences?
1: Yeah, this is something coming to this idea of the power of empathy is not something I would have predicted early on. I mean, I, I should step <laughs> back, right? I mean, just, oh, no? I, yeah, no, I mean, it, I, I wrote Wired to Care, which is about how companies prosper when they create widespread empathy. I wrote that book back in 2009, okay? So we're going, it's ancient history at this point. But, and at that point, the word empathy was a weird hippie term to use in business. Mm. But we we couldn't just, we, we couldn't avoid the truth of what we saw when we looked at companies that were able to do great things and do them quickly compared to the rest of us. I mean, if you spend any time at a place like Nike, Everybody who works on a running shoe at Nike tends to be a runner themselves. So if the market research report ends up being pretty bad, the shoe is still pretty good at the end because they have that intuition and gut sense, that empathic connection to runners. That was so wildly different from a company like, say, Reebok, very mm-hmm. smart people at Reebok, but filled with consumer packaged goods marketers who happen to be selling shoes as opposed to Nike, a group of athletes who happen to be in business.
0: Right, right. A critical difference there, and it's really a, a mindset shift. Do, so, do you have a deep
1: and empathic intuition for what keeps ordinary folks up at night—the people who are paying your bills and funding your kids for or your kids' college tuition or your 401k? Well,
0: in a way, you also you have to really like them. You can't have a disrespect. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and yeah. uh, it's not every business seems to like their, their customers. I'm thinking of the cable company. Yeah, you, know? it's,
1: you, and you need to spend more time with the The good news is, is that the more time you spend with them, the 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 greater chance is that you'll end up liking them, right? That's, that's the beauty of affinity. But I understand that. I, I reached a point in my career, maybe a decade, a decade and a half ago, where I hated my clients. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. I am empathic to that situation, right? Oh, that's I, funny. I, I yeah. spent a lot well, of time. Yeah. <laughs> I spend a lot of time, you know, advising senior leaders and CEOs and very large organizations. And Gabriella, if I am truly honest with you, I reached a point where I looked around and I said, All of my clients are assholes. All of them. They're all jerks. I wouldn't want to be working with any of them. Fortunately. Well, isn't
0: so how do you okay? That's an interesting place to yeah, be.
1: But but fortunately, there was a little voice in my head that said. They can't all be jerks, right? They can't all be assholes. Surely the only common denominator here is me, right? There's something wrong with <laughs> oh, my <dear>. mindset. <laughs> oh, dear. Lots of therapy, lots of meditation, lots of journaling, right? To, to realize like, no, these are actually decent people trying to do the right thing. Right? What I needed was a, was a basic sense of compassion that I did not have.
0: Well, okay, let's go for that. If I want to build empathy into my management team, how can I assess performance? What are empathy KPIs?
1: You know, the, the number one thing you can start with, because you know when you talk about KPIs, think about leading indicators and lagging indicators, mm-hmm. right? A good leading indicator is how much time are you spending talking to your customers? How much time are you out there with ordinary people? Right. And this is across
0: the board. You work in the legal department.
1: This is you work in the legal department. Then you you work in 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 IT, especially in places that that aren't in frontline sales, right? I I worked with a fellow a few years ago. He was the chief information officer at a large hospital system, right? And one of the best things he would do is that when a new engineer would join his team. Right. This is a software engineer. This is someone who's going to be an IT specialist. The first thing that he did was he made sure that that person spent their first month and a half working in a nurses' station in the hospital, right? so that he could actually see who the, the people were that we're doing. serving, yes, uh, right. and what these people were going through with the systems that we were deploying. Right, and right. they
0: could see the the how it really, what it really meant to have it That's structured right. a certain way. That's fascinating. That's Right. You In a speech you gave at Google, you made the point that efforts like this should be everyday, experiential, and easy. Now, that's one operational example. Can you just give one other one? So if people are thinking, this sounds great, but what does that really look like? For instance, if I work at an agency, you know, commercial agency, what, what would this look like? Well, I mean,
1: part of it is you want to have greater empathy for your direct clients, right? But if you work in an agency, it is far more powerful to to have empathy for your clients' clients, for for those okay. end customers that you're ultimately trying to serve. Right? Okay. And and we we've seen this over and over, right? What is the classic movie where there's the ad agency where you know the the I think it's Mel Gibson who suddenly you know like lives in the body of a woman and oh my God he 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 suddenly realizes that everything he's been pitching to moms in that ad agency is completely out of step with how actual moms think, right? right? And so it's developing that firsthand empathy. It's it's getting out in the world and spending time with those folks, not to figure out, you know, what to sell to them or what tagline would work or what new product to make, just to improve your own decision making power.
0: Speaking of decision making, in a in addition to being aware of what they care about, should we be pushing decision-making down as close to that consumer as possible? I I asked because I interviewed way back a million years ago, Colonel Carlos Vega, who at the time led the armory's cyber efforts. And we talked about change in a legacy organization, trying to move at speed. And he spoke a lot about the importance of commander's intent and, Mm -hmm. and that the clarity for the troops to understand and then be able to take decisions at that level. Is that similar? Is there an element of that in this?
1: There's there's a a huge part of that, which is that most organizations in 2023 need to increase the amount of autonomy they have Mm -hmm. in their organization. They need to reduce the amount of command and control that they're trying to exert, right? It's an, it's an old phrase that one of my mentors taught me, which is whoever sweeps the floor should get to choose the broom right? Um, I was, this was a, a couple of years ago and I was doing a study to understand what is the true nature of courage and what does courage look like? And so I went out and studied people that I perceived to be really courageous. I, I was firing live rounds with Navy SEALs, right? Oh, wow. Just to actually see what, and 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 one of the the SEALs told me a story, which was fascinating. He said, you know, they spend X million dollars on each SEAL. The the, the amount of resources we put on training you know, Navy SEALs is is through the roof. But once we're done with that training, the level of autonomy they have is massive. And 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 th- this this one SEAL told me a story. He said, you know, day one we were sent to Afghanistan, and day one is just setting up. And we and and we were in Helmand Province, and we were setting up our our, our base, set up base camp. Day two, a chopper flew in and landed, and there's a three star general in, uh, in the chopper w- walked out. And we all circled around and he pulled out a giant map and he took out a Sharpie and he drew a square on the map. And he, and he said, man, this is Hellman province. It's 100 mile by 100 mile a square. And he said, your mission is to disrupt the enemy within this square. Any questions? And no one mm. dared say a thing. And he said, good. Put down the sharpie. Walked out of the
0: helicopter and left. <laughs> wow! Right. Well, but under commanders' intent. Right. Exactly. Now that's right. Going to you know this autonomy and seeding it down, seeding control. It requires a level of trust. Trust that people's teams will take the right actions. How do you get people to get comfortable with that when you're talking to leaders?
1: Yeah. How.
0: How do they get comfortable?
1: Yeah, usually it is very hard to just get them to trust other people right? For some reason they, they've they've gotten to the point where they are by some measure of success and they attribute that success to themselves, mm-hmm. right which is not always helpful. The biggest thing we can do is to hopefully get them to see how illusory that actual control is that they have. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I, I was doing some work a number of years ago with a insurance company, right? Health insurance. And I was talking to the general counsel and he said, you know, this is the week where everybody in this company is running around trying to show why the numbers are the way they are. Right. Mm. And 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 what we're going to do to change it, not realizing that we set policies a year and a half ago, and those things cascaded down to our brokers about a year ago. And all of those things have been have been flowing through over the last 12 months. There is not a damn thing we can do about it right now. <laughs> but
0: right, right. we're
1: running around trying to justify it to show that we can somehow lever and change it the next couple of months, which we cannot.
0: So in that situation, because that is not an unusual situation, what you've just described right. is. Absolutely. That happens all the time. And yet then teams get frustrated if a leader says, you know, I know we said this, these were our goals at the start of the year, but we need to shift this and this and that. And people are like, oh, you've moved the goalposts. I can't stand it. How how can you move the goalposts? Because you should move the goalposts without demotivating people.
1: Well, and, and that's important, right? You do need to change and you need to say, yes, this, these were the five big things that we wanted to do as big challenges at the beginning of this year. And now it's six months later and we've learned things and now we need to change. And three of these goals are still important. Two of these goals are less relevant. And there's a new thing that we need to pay attention to. The difference, though, that we're talking about is are you spending that energy, energy, justifying the decisions of the past, right? Or planning out where you're going to be 12 months from now.
0: Well, right, because it is what it is. Those are the numbers. That's right. It it doesn't matter how you tap dance. That's the number you got. So- Again, what you practice, if you practice looking at the past, you're going to get really good at looking at the past. But That's right. if you look at the future, maybe it will be better. What's interesting, though, is during an economic downturn, a lot of businesses retrench. And really, it really is very hard. They want to look past because they they think I'm going to retrench. I'm not going to innovate. I'm, i am You know, how... That seems like a mistake.
1: It's a huge mistake. The The mediocre leaders are looking to re- retrench right now. The great leaders among us are actually looking to build the future while simultaneously tightening the ship in places where they, they need to course correct a bit. I'll give you an example. The press has been filled with stories of tech layoffs. Oh, my God. You know, Satya Nadella just laid off 10,000 people. That's true. 10,000 people is a lot of people in the previous 12 months microsoft had actually hired 75,000 people so he's actually up net 65,000 right. right and right. My, meanwhile he's investing a couple billion in open ai and chat gpt right at, at the same time so is he retrenching or is that you know just a little bit of course correction so for most companies it is a nuanced explanation, which is we need to tighten up so that we can do big things in the future. It's both of those things. It's not just doom and gloom, nor is it pie in the sky.
0: Mm. Well, you know sometimes though I mean it sometimes it can feel like you're in a boat and you're trying to change it into an airplane. <laughs> You know, I mean, just you know, certainly for smaller businesses, they're like, yeah, that'd be great. But I have these financial exigencies that just can't be ignored. And, or even, you know, I look at entertainment and you've got shareholder value driving some shorter timeline thinking. Right. Um, well, take how a look do you at you advise it? that.
1: Take a look at what what's happened in entertainment with Bob Iger, right? Mm-hmm. And his return to Disney, right? Well, Yes, he believes in a new model for the future, right? That the entire play to Disney Plus, you know, something that Bob Chapek got punished for in part, among other things, right? But... That entire strategy started under Iger, right? So Iger It, it was
0: Iger's strategy. It was
1: Iger's strategy that 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 he was playing out, right? But he so he's doubling down on that. The the future is not going away, right? And he knows he needs to do that, but he also is doing a restructuring and he and he's letting go for of I think about 7500 people in part because he has activist investors that he needs to deal with in the here and now. So you have to do both.
0: Mhm. Right,
1: so is is Bob Iger retrenching? That's not the right word. Is is Bob Iger just like you know going for broke? No, that's not true either. He's tightening the ship so that he can make bets on the future.
0: Hmm. Although I would, I have opinions. I have opinions. Oh, I what want to hear. Doing. Your <laughs> tell me your opinions. Maybe, uh, maybe online, I will something. tell you about my opinions on that. I want <laughs> to focus on layoffs, large yeah. tech and media companies. A lot of yeah. other industries are still finding it difficult to recruit and retain talent jump associates website is different in terms of how your employment opportunities are presented you communicate that you're highly selective only two percent offer rate applicants should know their why be ready to bring their whole self share their thought processes ask questions in fact you stress that their demonstrated skills are more important than what's on their resume have you always taken that approach to recruitment I think so. I
1: hope so. Right. I I, I think that it, it, it goes back to a basic philosophical reason of, of why we work. Mm-hmm. Right. And look, your purpose in life is to find your purpose in life and live it with full breath and full heart. And so we're looking for people at Jump who share our purpose, which is to transform lives through learning and growth. And if that is something that fills you with deep passion and, and great joy, then I need your help. Right, because this work is really, really hard. Right. But and you might have other passions. You might care about, you know, sustainability and the environment more than anything else. I really, really want you to go work at Patagonia then. Right. Right. But, right. Right. So but step one is just finding the people who actually are in common cause with us about what we're trying to do.
0: How do you, if you do, you use a resume or do you assess skills in a different way? How do you do that? Um,
1: we 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 use a resume. We use psychological testing six ways from Sunday. We do case study I- interviews, and 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 we have you know all sorts of ways that that we're we're kind of drawing out stories from people, right? The kind of people who seem to thrive at Jump are are inherently hybrid thinkers. They tend to be people who are kind of you know, a one part humanist, one part technologist, one part capitalist, right? These are folks who maybe they have a degree in in the social sciences and somewhere along the way they picked up some design and maybe they have an MBA, right? Finding someone who can discuss Brunerian framing theory and pick up a pen and sketch something hot and then figure out gross mean return on investment in year three is an incredibly hard person to find, especially in the United States where we don't prize learning and we tell everybody that you have to have a narrow specialty.
0: That's very interesting and, and very true. And I'm I'm thinking of two different questions. I'm not sure which one to ask first. Pick I two guess. and delete the
1: one. With oh, the second I don't know. Answer. They're both really, they're really
0: good questions. So well, I guess... The answers
1: might be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Well, I want to... Because I've been thinking earlier, you talked about looking at the people on the fringes, looking at South Korea for gaming. How do you determine where your leading bleeding edge behaviors are and that you're not just going for some niche weirdos. Like how yeah. do you, how do you decide? How, there, how does that, what's, what signals are you looking for? There, there's an entire
1: body of social science around diffusion theory started by a fellow named Everett Rogers. You can read his book. A lot of those ideas were most were you know popularized in a much thinner book called Crossing the Chasm by uh, Jeffrey Moore. Right. But so there are particular traits that you're looking for in those early adopters and in particular domains, right? It, yeah, if I boil it down to something simple, right? The the folks who are early adopters for fashion are not the same people who are early adopters for technology. Just look mm-hmm. at them, right?
0: Right, <laughs> so, right, right, right.
1: And so you, you're, you're looking for people who are early adopters. Secondly, you're looking for people who have extreme needs in that area. I'll give you an example. Let's say you were doing a project studying nutrition, Right. And you want to understand like how is that changing in in the world? It might be nice to go study Thomas Keller at the French Laundry and see what five star chefs are doing. But if Thomas Keller doesn't give you a completely nutritious and healthy meal, that's fine. That's not why you're there. Much of it is entertainment and the experience, mm-hmm. as opposed to the school lunch planner for the Los Angeles County school system. If they don't give our kids right, healthy food, they go to jail for criminal negligence. Right. right? It's <laughs> so a little different. That's somebody I want to study. <laughs> right. 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 So. It, it really is breaking down the attributes and going beyond who's cool to really who are demonstrating right signals from the future that we're looking for.
0: So interesting. I think that's like something everybody, you know, we talk about things happening at the speed of culture. And I, I think, well, but people are still people and and tapping into which cultural signals are the ones that are leading indicators is, is so useful and important. Now I'll go back to the other question. We yeah, do have the, the time question, for me. The other yeah. question was we talked about <laughs> sourcing and selecting a team. What are the skills that CEOs and entrepreneurs should be developing in order to roll with it? Because if we're always learning, you yeah. should be learning some skills. So what are in, in the last few minutes, what are some skills they should be developing?
1: Right. Most CEOs, most senior leaders right now are in a tough spot because it turns out that the skills you need in the 21st century are often not things that we learned along the way, right? We learned how to manage a P&L. We learned how to set KPIs or OKRs or whatever we're calling them this week. We learned how to actually drive to objectives. We didn't learn a lot about le- leading with vulnerability or or how to influence and use authenticity, right? Or how to be future focused. These are skills that are, it's incredibly hard to pick up later in life, right? We saw this after the murder of George Floyd, Mm -hmm. right? right. So that was a horrible thing. And then we saw these awkward, awkward videos from, from senior leaders trying to tell you how, you know, kind and understanding they were, right? And it's almost unfair to ask somebody at the tender age of 55 or 60 or 65 to turn around and be empathic and authentic and vulnerable and use that as as sources of strength, not weakness, right? Well, so certainly you if their earlier. entire
0: career has been beating that out of themselves. And that's you know, right, exactly. exizing that from who they right. are. Um, that's right.
1: But you know, I'll, I'll tell you that where it starts because I, I I know you 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 want to start with some very simple you know, things that you can do is it starts with a plan, right? Which is I always say like have two pieces of paper on your desk and have one piece of paper just being the three or four or five things that you want your company to do, or you want your department or your function to do this year that at the end of of the year, you're going to say, this was a great year. We did all those things. Right. And like, Three, four words each, not 50 things, but have another piece of paper on the other the end of your desk. And on that, have the three or four or five things that you want to have happen with yourself personally. How do you want to change over the next year? It cannot be that the world is changing, my industry is changing, our company needs to change. Me, I'm fine, I'm good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what a rollicking, fun conversation we have had. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Thank you, Gabriela. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team and Up Next, my friend Rob Not in the Voice, who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.